Amazon doesn't just dispense eyeballs freely. They know to give the eyeballs that are going to convert and transition to say, translate to sales. They know that it's in their interest to give those eyeballs to the folks that are not making their problems worse and the ones that are helping them. So making sure your supply chain is done right to actually fit the Amazon model is whether you're big, small, or medium, it's always the core foundation of a successful Amazon business. Hello and welcome to the Ecom Ops Podcast. We believe that there is more than enough content focused on e-commerce marketing and not enough content celebrating the real heroes of e-commerce, those running the operation. Each week, we find and interview an e-commerce operations expert to share the secrets behind how some of this industry's most exciting businesses are run. I'm your host, Norbert Strappler, the CEO of SingSpider. Hello and welcome to another Ecom Ops podcast. Today I'm talking to Nato from Data Driven. And guys, the name is really cool because there's an eight between the D and the A, which means data and driven. So uh, I love that. Uh, Nato, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Yeah, okay. Great to have you here. So uh, at Data Driven, uh, it's an analytic software for Amazon sellers that drives profitable growth for brands on Amazon um, by executing tailored strategy and so on and so forth. But the best thing is you tell me a bit more about how you got into e-commerce and why you built data-driven. Ah, beautiful. Love it. So how I got into e-commerce um, was I was sitting around a poker table with friends. This would have been back in 2008. And we were saying to ourselves, I can't believe the only business model that makes sense to deliver food to people is pizza. How is pizza delivery the only food delivery? Back then, uh, believe it or not, it relatively was. And we were like, this is probably just a manifestation of humans not spending time on solving the problem or people not thinking about the solution being, uh, you know, being able to um, be there for other, you know, other types of food. So long story short, we decided to start selling everything we could find that people wanted. Um, and we actually delivered it ourselves. So our entry into e-commerce was um, basically through building a logistics network of friends who had spare time. Um, basically, the Uber Eats before there was Uber. We operated on islands in the Puget Sound over here in the Pacific Northwest. We very quickly realized that it was very difficult to make any money um, let alone cover your expenses when you're delivering, say, a $5 sandwich from Subway. Yeah. Um, so we said we need our basket size to get bigger. Um, and so then we kind of transitioned into, well, people spend more money on groceries when they go grocery shopping. Let's see if we can deliver groceries instead of um, individual sandwiches or burritos. Um, and so we started to do groceries. Um, it was an exciting time for us because we had, we had, we had found this particular island in the, in the Puget Sound where there was over 10,000 residents and one grocery store. And it was very, very expensive. And so every, almost everyone shopped off the island. So there's a huge barrier to entry of waiting in a ferry line, paying a ferry toll, um, leaving your kids, getting people to watch your kids, um, and then driving around the city to find the different stores you wanted to go to, whether it was Costco or Whole Foods or whatever it might be. Mm -hmm. um, and so we said, well, uh, oh, by the way, all 10,000 people literally cross a piece of pavement that's only 20 feet wide every day to go on this ferry. And so we had this kind of scaled opportunity to hack some, some marketing that we didn't, didn't otherwise have. And so we were operating out of our dorm room in college 
And so we said, let's find a way to just walk up and down this ferry line, talk to people about um, if they'd rather have us buy their groceries instead of them. Got enough people saying yes. And so we said, okay, let's pivot over to start delivering groceries. Ran that company for a couple of years. Um, uh, learned a lot about uh, so many things. Uh, a simple thing we learned was don't align your don't 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 collect revenue off of a fixed rate and have your expenses be on variable rate. So we paid people hourly, but we got paid by job, and so we were incentivizing our employees to take more time. That's how they got made more money, even though we were making fixed revenue. Learned all kinds of simple things like that 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 um, were powerful to learn at a young age. Um, anyways, ran the company. Decided to take it uh, to a larger market. So we went into Seattle. Mm-hmm. Um, we wanted to leverage a similar kind of hackability of exposure. So we said, let's go find the high rises that don't have parking garages. So similarly, let's find a lot of people in a central location that have a barrier to entry to go get this, to go get groceries on their own because they their car is not near where they live, if they have a car at all. Um, was going well. And we were operating there. We were just about to finish up college. Um, and we're trying to think about how, how we go, what do we do next? Uh, myself, my co-founder, we came from blue collar families, um, didn't really have the mentor network, um, to understand the world that we were entering into and how to raise money and how to go to, you know, incubators and all, all, all of, um, the ways you might typically take, a um, an up and coming startup and, and, and kind of, uh, do that today. We didn't, we didn't know. And, so all we had was a business on our hands that was either sometimes a pain in the butt, sometimes uh, uh, we were inspired by it, uh, but it was a good kind of healthy mix of both. And uh, so we're just about to finish college. We're sitting here running the business, thinking about expansion to other cities, other um, islands, kind of following our same model. And then we get a phone call. Phone call is from a local news network in um, Seattle. They do a consumer segment where they basically... Um, I don't know, highlight something for consumers in in the area, and they call us and they said, "Hey, um, we, we we were looking for companies uh, in Seattle that delivered groceries, and you guys are the only ones." Um, again, this so this one back hey, in two thousand, wow. yeah, um, uh, one of the uh, yeah, pretty much the only ones at the time. Mm-hmm. This is long before Instacart. Um, at the time, we were we had just uh, excuse me, let me think about this. About a year after that, we got featured in Huffington Post as one of the top 10 apps to never have to leave your home, featured in front of Instacart. And um, it's basically it was the same model as Instacart before Instacart started. Um, biggest mistake of our lives not to stay with it. We'll get to that part of the story here in a second. Um, so uh, we said, okay, great. What, uh, what does that mean? And they said, well, we have um, a, a bit, uh, one of our you know, Seattle local companies called Amazon.com um, is actually launching a... Uh, grocery delivery uh, beta test in Seattle, and they're calling it Amazon Fresh. And we want to compare Amazon Fresh to another local option. And you guys were the only ones we could find. Uh, do you mind that we do? Yeah. Do you mind that we buy a, an order from you live on the show and showcase to customers the difference between the local company versus this Amazon new program? We were like, you know, holy cow, this is the best advertising. We could have never ever afforded anything like this. Absolutely. Um, so we were all for it. Um, it was a very inspiring Friday, and it turned out to be a very humbling Sunday, basically. Um, so we had, I think it was 400,000 um, uh, hits to the website that uh, over the course of that weekend, wow. nothing we had ever experienced, anything like yeah. that. 
Did the website and it was, the website hold? Um, but was it was no. it good enough and it crashed down? Yeah, yeah, there were there the, were problems. The Shark Tank experience, some someone like yes. <laughs> Now they so in the segment they ordered the same shopping list from us and for Amazon Fresh. Our products got there faster and it was cheaper. And so we were we were we which we I mean one it was alarming for us to see that a, a bigger company that can afford to lose more money than we could. Um, uh, <laughs> wasn't. <laughs> and, and so again, we started at some, the light bulbs were going off. And then we yeah. also were like, Oh, wait a minute. We went from no competitors at all. We were the only option to one competitor. Who's like the fastest growing company in the world, um, can afford to lose money all day long, can eat their, eat their competition. The second that they prove it in Seattle, they're going to roll it out across 50, 50 cities. We were like, wait a minute, this is maybe a little scarier than we originally <laughs> like interpreted this information. Um, and then we get to Sunday and take all of those visitors and take every zero off. And that's how many customers. So if it was 400,000, it was either 400,000 or 300,000, but minus every zero. So it was either three or four customers. And we were like, oh no, we just did the most advertising we'd ever really, like we could never even touch that if we wanted to pay for that type of advertising. And it didn't actually convert. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so, uh, I mean, I, maybe you don't know, I, I don't know it, the listeners out there maybe can, can relate to like, Holy cow, I had this plan for my life. And then all of a sudden I get hit in the face with something that pretty much tells me my plan is not going to work uh, as I had envisioned. Um, and so I need to make a change. So, um, for me, we were just finishing up college myself, and my co-founder. And I said to him, you know, I, I don't know what this means for us, but this scared me enough that um, I, I want to learn kind of from the belly of the beast a little bit more about what we're doing here with e-commerce. We obviously just kind of stumbled into it and are hacking our way into being um, relevant and being operators in the space. Um, I want to go like learn from the best. So that um, that weekend, we actually had um, people at Amazon, uh, probably who worked at Amazon Fresh, uh, and they saw the same segment. We're signing up for our service, right? So they're at amazon.com emails. And so I told my co-founder, hey, I'm going to just turn these emails. I'm going to try and hack this interaction into an interview. So I'm going to talk to every single one of these people that signed up for our service and try and convince them to give me a job at Amazon. So I did. And that's how I entered Amazon. I joined Amazon in a unique role where basically um, Amazon had really, really um, important categories to their eventual growth that they're experiencing today and, and kind of are the foundation of where they're at today. Um, that was really, really small, like crazy small categories at Amazon that people wouldn't have even like, people would be like, wait a minute, really? You're that small um, at that stage. And some of those categories were not very sexy. So think of like, so Amazon knew most grocery shopping started for most homes, most families, when some, when the family runs out of either toilet paper or paper towels, it's usually the trigger to more items going in the basket. And so they said, well, if we don't sell toilet paper or paper towels, or if people don't really see us as a place that sells toilet paper or paper towels, it's kind of a blocker from us opening up all the rest of the items that get thrown in the basket when those families mm, are shopping. It. Yeah. And so my job was to take those categories, find out why they weren't doing well on Amazon, find out why brands, the brands like Quilted Northern, Charmin, brands people were familiar with, why they weren't on the shelf um, in a very prominent way on the digital shelf on Amazon, and flip that on its head so that Amazon could become more, I don't know, uh, legitimate in those categories so that consumers could shop there. And then eventually the long-term goal of triggering the toilet paper purchase and then the more items going in the basket. And so that was my job at Amazon. Um, not sexy on a job description, but it turned out, um, I'm 
very, very grateful for the time that I spent there solving some problems uh, like, you know, how do you, how do you deal with items that are really, really big, right? 48 rolls of toilet paper is really big. It doesn't, doesn't weigh very much. And so there's, there's a dynamic there that you have to work through in terms of efficiency of shipping. Um, do you overbox it? Can you find solutions around just wrapping it in plastic for um, less cost? Is that, but then you run into like environmental issues, um, finding ways to convince consumers who are really only using Amazon to buy books and DVDs and, and Christmas shopping, how to convince them to start seeing Amazon as a place to buy their, their everyday items um, and kind of work through. We did we did really fun programs. Like I remember one of the most successful ones we did was that there's a book called What to Expect When You're Expected. What to Expect When You're Expecting. It's a book you read before, you know, uh, right before you have a baby. And we, we were like, wow, a lot of people buy this book on Amazon. And a lot of those people are about to completely change the type of products that they purchase. Um, and so can we start to offer them massive discounts to get them buying, whether it's diapers or um, wipes and then eventually toilet paper. And so right at that transition moment in life can be a transition moment in their consumer behavior. Um, and so we did a lot of really fun stuff that opened my eyes up. I got to a touch scale that I certainly didn't get the opportunity to anywhere near um, in my startup while at Amazon. Quickly, I learned though that, you know, it, while Amazon is an entrepreneurial spirited company, it's, it's, you know, it's corporate America. There's, there's hierarchies, there's structure um, in their attempts to be horizontal and give people freedom. You know, at the end of the day, they're a big organization organizing a lot of dollars flowing through them and a lot of humans managing it. And so it becomes vertical. And I just, I got to see quite a bit of, you know, I don't know, working late nights and, um, not really getting the, the credit that maybe you deserved in terms of the, the outcomes. And, um, it was just eye opening. I think to the most humans, normal experience of at least corporate America, or, or if you live somewhere else, maybe corporate life in other places. And, um, for me, it really was a pause moment of, I was like, you know, I'm the first young child to ever go to college and certainly to ever have a job, anything like this, that, that wasn't entirely a, just trading my life away for a paycheck. Um, where I was, a, you know, uh, using using intellectual skills and problem solving, and uh, and I was like, I've had many many family members like encourage me along the way to 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 kind of leaving the life that I came from and, and entering into this new world, and um, thinking about the the family members before them and and my lineage and how many people dreamed of a better life, and I was sitting there in you know in in South Lake Union in the big towers and seeing like there's no way this is the better life that you know, so many of my family members dreamed of. And so, um, I was inspired to go back into entrepreneurship where I felt, um, I, I don't know, a different, a different sense of, I don't know, kinship to that yearning that my family before me had, um, had dreamed of a better life. And I felt like entrepreneurship was my opportunity to pursue that. And so, um, took advantage of what I learned at Amazon, um, decided, you know what, I'm going to leave Amazon. I learned a lot. I learned a lot in e-commerce. Now I've learned a lot about Amazon specifically and marketplaces outside of kind of your direct-to-consumer. Um, and so, you know what? I'm going to start a consulting agency where I help brands who would never get Amazon's attention, but maybe have, in my opinion, a right to win. Um, uh, let me find a way to help them with the knowledge that I have. And so that's when the, the start of helping brands. And that's really I helped cool. brands for about and, five uh, years. Yeah. And, and 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 what I have seen is, or what I've noticed, or maybe I, I did not read correctly, but you helped brands to uh, to drive over 500 million in growth on Amazon, as far as I, if, if I understood and read this correctly. Yeah. Yep. 
Yeah, incredible, we were, it was, incredible, great high number. Yeah, it, you know, it's been um, it's been an interesting balance as I as I moved. So originally, when I when I left Amazon, I was uh, you know an idealistic young. Uh, filled with knowledge that wasn't very spread out around the world. And so I was like, you know what? I'm only going to help the brands that are making carbon footprint decreases, um, that are um, employing people with livable wages, and I was, you know, which, which I think is a very good thing. And I'm very grateful that I got to operate with such strong motivations. Over time, what I found was, uh, to be honest with you, I started blowing up brands that couldn't handle the scale. Yeah, they were so focused on some of their core principles, uh, uh, maybe ethically in running their company, that when I started to deliver growth for them through the Amazon channel, they 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 simply couldn't supply the product to um, handle that growth. And so over time, I had to find the right balance of finding the right brands and partners that um, wanted to achieve this this sizable growth. Hopefully, were you know ethically run companies. But also had the um, operational scalability uh, behind them, so that um, they could actually capitalize on the growth that I could deliver mm. for those brands. And that awesome. was a big transition for me when I uh, transitioned into working with a lot larger CPG companies. Uh, one and two, I kind of went through. A, a, as I reflect on it today, I would call it a very classical entrepreneurial um, situation that I found myself in, and that was what got me here wasn't going to get me there. So the landscape changed. I had, when I started, there was almost no ex-Amazonians out there helping brands. Now there's a lot of them. One. Mm -hmm. Two, there's all kinds of folks out there helping brands that have no Amazon experience inside of the Amazon, but maybe they've been operating Amazon brands. And so they've learned some. Three, a lot of the secrets were becoming just well-known, kind of table stake knowledge of what to do. Um, and then four... Amazon itself was becoming a lot more of a dynamic marketplace rather than a, a fixed marketplace. So whereas before it was a very if X, then Y um, statement-based marketplace, like if you have six images, then you will probably perform better than the item with three images. It used to be very simple. Um, and it was becoming much more dynamic, much more interactive between your competitors, what they were doing, what they weren't doing. Category by category was changing. And so humbly, I said, you know what? In order to deliver the growth that I had always been delivering up to that point, I needed to I needed to change, and that was when I went and got my former boss at Amazon, who's now my partner. Convinced him to leave, join me, and we built our data driven tech platform. Which at the core, basically, what we wanted to do is we wanted to say we want to take humans out of all of the data acquisition piece and humans out of as much of the data analysis, and we want to make our decisions based on data opportunities, not just best practices or what we have in our heads. We said, we want to start looking at the data, seeing in the data, oh, conversion rate changed. Can we isolate the variable that impacted conversion rate? Was it, our, was it something that happened with our competitors? Maybe it had nothing to do with us. Can we start to look at data in that way and start making our recommendations and optimizations based off of data-backed opportunities rather than made-up ones or, or, or ones of the old? And so that's kind of the, the premise and the impetus for building out the data-driven tech platform. And so now we still do what we've always done, which is help brands blow up on Amazon. Um, we just basically have a secret weapon called the data-driven tech platform that empowers us to do it at a much greater scale. Okay, very, very interesting. Now, um, you, are, you are providing data to Amazon merchants um, that can help them to grow um, and to optimize their revenue, or what is the main impetus behind delivering that data? What can they learn and do? Great question. Um, I would actually say... 
um, we don't deliver the data to the merchants. We can if they want to. Most merchants don't want data. Most, most what we found is most sellers and vendors. That, yeah. <laughs> they're like, hey, I'm already data rich, but I'm insight poor. I need someone to tell me what happened, why did it happen, and what should I do about it? And it's the what should I do about it that we focus on. How we get the what happened and, and, and what drove it, that's all in the data. So we do that on the back end. Our, our clients have visibility into that if they want to. We give executive summaries and different ways of, of, of visualizing that data. Um, so we do both of those. But at the end of the day, 90, 95% of the time we spend with our clients is here. What are we going to do about it? And the what are we going to do about it? It's really always one of two things. You either found something that's not going well and you need to change. One. Or two, you found something that is going well and you need to double down on it. And yeah. it's, it's, it's that process at scale on every ASIN, every day, across every core function, sales, marketing, operations. It's doing that over and over at scale and seeing it based on what's changing in your data. That, it's that process that's the silver bullet. It's not one particular data point or one particular optimization um, that exists that no one else has ever thought of. That's, that's, that's a way of the past. The, 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 the true difference between the ones who succeed on Amazon and the ones who don't now is all in that process. And the silver bullet is the process, not, not, not some particular data point or some particular um, optimization, what we found. Got it. Really, really interesting. Um, and how do you do that? So you connect the Amazon account, you get the data in, and your, totally. your, your analysis um, and meetings with the customers will help the customers to understand what they should do better. Exactly. Um, and in most cases, we're actually doing it on behalf of our clients. And in some cases, our clients have massive teams and they said, uh, we have teams sitting around waiting to do things. Can you just tell them what to do? And can you prioritize what's due in, in a prioritized fashion mm -hmm. and Got assign it. the sales items to my salespeople, assign the marketing items to my marketing people. And so we have a project management suite within it where it's basically, you know, think of Asana or Monday.com, except it's all pre-filled out with what to do. Hey, this item yeah. needs this, this item needs that. Uh, ba again, based on the data. Based on the data. So that, that's that's cool. So you are not just a SaaS company um, that, that provides a service uh, tool, to, for, but you also have the team behind that to help people really understand the data and grow. Exactly. And the perfect. On, uh, from our perspective, there's two types of people you know, serving our brands. We have the strategy side and we have the executors. So we put a, a we put an iron curtain between those two Because we want folks focusing on the strategy, not getting bogged down with, I don't know, Amazon, let's say it's a variation you're trying to make happen and it takes you 15 days to make it happen with 52 tickets yeah. back and forth. We don't, we don't want folks making strategy decisions bogged down with that. So we, we, we put an iron curtain between the executors and the, and the folks um, developing the strategy. Okay, got it. Now, um, you have seen a lot yeah, on, on Amazon. Um, What is a common mistake that brands uh, make selling on Amazon? What, what is a common mistake? Hmm. I, two things come to mind. Um, one common mistake is, yeah, one common mistake would be brands assume Amazon is another um, retailer to call on the way that they've called on all retailers in the past, not recognizing that Amazon is a sales vehicle as other retailers have always been for, for brands. But it's also an incredibly valuable marketing vehicle. And what's interesting is whether you use it as that or not, your customers are using it as that or not. And probably your competitors are using it as that or not. So 
This idea that it's a place where units can flow through as customers walk in and out of the door and maybe they choose your selection versus the others. It is that. There's a lot of dynamics to that that are very different than just putting items on a shelf. Um, but then separate from that, really viewing that you know, Amazon's a place where humans now go for information about considering to buy a product and yeah. with their problems that a product might be the solution for. Um, and so not recognizing that you being on Amazon, you're a part of that game. So leave out the fact of whether you're playing the game right or not. I think what brands make a big mistake on is not accepting that premise and starting from that premise and saying, okay, I need, I need to consider that as I, as I bring my items to that marketplace. Mm-hmm. Got it. And what is, uh, let's say the good ones, what if I selling on Amazon as a brand, what would you recommend to me to check up first to make um, the, the, the first real steps for growth? If you're just starting on Amazon or if you've already been on Amazon? Um, started started on Amazon, being on Amazon um, uh, for a while, but just as a marketplace to go um, where I list my products next to other marketplaces. But I want to succeed in Amazon. What do I need to do? Um, I actually don't know why I asked that question because the answer is the same for both. And the answer is yeah. supply chain. Supply Amazon's chain. Amazon's biggest expense in running their entire business is getting your product, housing your product, and getting it to the customer. And if you are not accepting that and recognizing that you are a part of that problem for them and that you can either be a big part of that problem or you can be a small part of that problem, um, depending on where you end on that spectrum and where your competitors do, that's going to have a massive influence into what type of impressions you're going to get on the platform and the quality of those impressions and the likelihood that they'll convert. Amazon doesn't just dispense eyeballs freely. They know to give the eyeballs that are going to convert and transition to say, translate to sales. They know that it's in their interest to give those eyeballs to the folks that are um, not making their problems worse and the ones that are helping them. So um, making sure your supply chain is, is done right to actually fit the Amazon model um, is, is, is whether you're big, small, or medium, it's, it's, it's always the core foundation of, of a successful Amazon business. Awesome. Very interesting. Thank you so much. Um, last question for today. Yeah. Uh, who has taught you the most about e-commerce in your career? <laughs> mm. Always the same. Who the has taught me the most? On that question. Um, probably my partner. Probably Smart yeah. Parikh. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. The Amazon guy. Yeah, yeah, my former boss Perfect. at Amazon. I might not say that when he was my boss, but um, since transitioning over to being <laughs> my partner, uh, it, it's it's surely surely my answer. That's very good. Then you have the right partner. Absolutely. Yeah. So, Nazar, thank you so so much for your time. It was really a pleasure talking to you. And I like the 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 idea not seeing Amazon um, as as just um, a, a marketplace for products, but also as a marketing machine. Uh, where you just need to get your product data right away presented and uh, where you really can point out the, the quality of your product. And when you start at Amazon to take care that uh, you really have a working supply chain uh, so that you really can deliver in time, which is very important, not being part of a problem, but always being part of a solution. I love it. Very well said. Thank you very much. You must, you must run a podcast. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, buddy. Talk soon. Bye-bye. Bye. 
And that's it for this episode of the Ecom Ops Podcast. If you enjoyed listening and would like us to find and interview more e-commerce operations experts, please search for Ecom Ops Podcast in your favorite podcast listening app and then subscribe, rate, and review. Until next time. <laughs>